0: We go. All right, so, Lord, we just thank you for this time as we're going to be getting into the word of the Lord together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We just hallow your name and praise you, Lord. As we come in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, we just ask you and we thank you for such an open heaven, your glory here. Lord, we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit to move upon every one of us. The Holy Spirit, He is the author of the word of God. And Father, by the Spirit of God, allow the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what we couldn't before. Breathe upon us by the Spirit, Lord. Touch our minds to be able to understand. Touch our hearts to be tender and sensitive. Touch our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear what is being revealed. And Lord, I ask you to come upon me and speak through me every single thing that needs to be spoken tonight. Everything. Let it be thorough. Uh, let help all of us to have clear minds. There's no distractions. And, Lord, that this everything will be accomplished in and through this time in the Word that you will be done. The Word of God is so powerful and so vital in our lives. And, Lord, I ask you that by the winds of the Spirit of God, carry this out among the nations where it will get where it needs to and accomplish what it's supposed to. And, Lord, let it be like a bright light of revelation, shining, dispelling all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy, and bring truth and insight. And, Lord, the washing of the water of the Word, let there be a cleansing us. Lord, we ask you to convict our hearts. Where are places that we need to hear some things sometimes that, that convict us and challenge us to go deeper in Christ and to, and to maybe repent of, of some things. And Lord, let tonight be a night of where you search us and deal with things in us that need to be dealt with. We welcome that part in that ministry aspect of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and convict us. And Lord, we thank you for it. We bless you. And, Lord, we submit it unto you and we resist the devil. We must flee. We bind up everything of the enemy that would try to hinder, distract, resist, oppress in any way. Come against this word. We bind you in the name of Jesus. We command you to back off right now. Lord, let your angels just clear any of that away. And, Lord, they're going to watch over this. that Make sure that your purposes will be established. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen all right how many guys knows there's spiritual warfare going on out there isn't there and um satan hates the word of god he'll set up dark forces to try to hinder the word you know and including through um, various social media etc there's like dark forces behind there that want to silence the truth they have an agenda and it's not your agenda all right so anyway we're looking at the close of the church age Next week I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 4 Which has to do with the rapture Some people don't like that word So the catching away It's In the Greek it's the harpazo It is the snatching away The catching away of God's remnant people And so I'm probably going to, to spend a couple weeks Covering that because it's an in-depth subject But as you will see Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation Deal with the church age The last 2,000 years. And when we leave chapter 3, listen to what I'm saying. The church is gone. You don't see the church again in the book of Revelation. So this is is dealing with the church age. And then we're going to see Revelation chapter 4 come up here. And then everything, the focus is on Israel and the judgments on the earth. So we'll deal with that next week. But this week I want to finish the last three churches that were written to. We we devoted a whole sermon to Ephesus. Ephesus represented the church that basically Jesus Christ planted through his apostles. It was a church born in the fires of revival, had great teachers in it, like Paul and John and, and Timothy and etc and it was a really solid church powerful church but the warning was don't lose that first love don't lose your lampstand and we know that as you study down through church history you can see the lampstand was definitely lost and led into the dark ages and so we looked at smyrna which had to do with crushing that was the uh, the next church and that was the 10 emperors that violently persecuted the church And then we went into the time where there was the rise of, of Constantine and Roman Catholicism. And then Thyatira, where Jezebel came in and began to be enthroned upon that. And so now we're going to pick up from this point. Thyatira has to do with the Dark Ages. And in that time, Roman Catholicism had gotten so powerful and so incredibly corrupt. It had gotten to the point to where you could not even read the Bible for yourself. That was stolen. And it, it was just extremely political, extremely corrupt. And it led into a very dark time. So we're coming out of that time with the church of Sardis. All right, so let me just start reading this and we'll just go with the flow as, as the Holy Spirit leads. So this is chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Let me tell you, those that don't like nowadays the word repent, Jesus sure likes that word, doesn't he? Therefore, if you do not wake up, look at this, I will come like a thief. And you will know, you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Now that's a reference to the rapture. The meeting in the air, okay? But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will be thus clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How many knows as you go through this that people have physical ears, but yet they don't have spiritual ears, see? Not everybody has eyes to see and ears to hear. So I'm going to go kind of quickly through this. I'm not going to recap too much, but just remember I mentioned the acronym in Hebrew Pardes p-a-r-d-e-s it is a a pattern of study in the bible in the first layer remember was Peshat, which has to do with taking it as literal and basic as you possibly can so here's how you apply that here because i'm teaching everybody here the importance of this okay this is sardis is a literal church there's a literal pastor it's in a literal roman city at that time you see what I'm saying? You have to take it literally. It's not a figurative thing here. It's a real letter to a real church. So, Peshat has to do with take it literal. Then, is there's a hint of more. You see, Jesus talks about here, he says, Those that have the seven spirits of God. Well, there's not seven Holy spirits. You have to understand the sevenfold Holy Spirit, which I've already explained. Remember the Spirit of the Lord, wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord, the menorah. The seven stars, there's rima's. there's a hint of more here. You have to understand biblical symbolism. Then you build on that drosh. That is like a sermon where you pull from history and you pull from different places of the Bible and you teach it in a way that's like life application for me and you, which is what I'm about to do. And finally, you move into sod, S-O-D. That is revelation. And I believe... But you know according to divine revelation I believe That these are a prophetic Timeline down through church history For 2000 years If any other churches Were used here it wouldn't work And if any of these churches were written In another order it wouldn't work But because the Lord picked these Specific churches In that specific order It's a timeline From the days of The early church until laodicea the last day church does that make sense but you have to do it in that order if you try to get revelation without first understanding the literal basic understanding it gets weird does that make sense it's in layers and another thing is the law first reference you have to go back to the first five books of the bible the torah And look at the foundation that God laid there so I'll give you examples you know there's it's referenced that Jesus's feet were burnished bronze but how are you gonna know what bronze means you can't here's what some people do you can't just make up what you want bronze to mean to fit your sermon hello people do that you have to go back to the first five books of the Bible and look at what God said bronze represents and it represents in the tabernacle judgment silver represents redemption gold represents divinity iron always speaks of warfare when you understand the symbolism that was way back there it was the first reference God established that pattern then you look at Revelation And it makes sense because Jesus' feet are burnished bronze, meaning everything will be under his feet, under his righteous judgment, and under his rule, you see. But you can't just, you know, some people do this. I don't want to dwell on that, but they kind of, you know, they make numbers fit their sermon. You can't do that. You have to go back. What does the Bible say that that actually means to get a proper understanding? All right, so anyway, Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the first layer where you go back in history to a literal city, a literal church. So Sardis in the natural was a beautiful city 500 years before John wrote Revelation. It was a very beautiful city. Cyrus conquered it in the days of the Persians, which I'll deal with that probably next week, actually. I'll deal with the 70 weeks of Daniel. And we'll look at some of Daniel and we'll look at his prophecies about those successive kingdoms. But Cyrus conquered it. Then later, Alexander the Great came and conquered it for for Greece. And through these battles, Sardis was destroyed. So it was beautiful, but because of the conquering emperors coming in with their military, it destroyed it. Then, to top that off, In 17 AD, an earthquake reduces the city to ruins. So even though they try to rebuild, an earthquake comes and destroys it again. But later, later, the emperor Tiberius rebuilt it and gave it new life. So that was the time that we're looking at. Tiberius had rebuilt it, given it new life. But here's something I want you to see. It's very important. The temple that was there was to the mother goddess Cybele C Y B E L E Cybele the name Cybele was derived from from a phrygian language meaning mountain mother so this temples and this goddess this is really interesting when i was looking into this this goddess was there before the greeks got there so technically it wasn't a greek god but when they they kind of adopted it but when they conquered this was already there this was like a satanic stronghold that was there so remember Cybele, a mountain mother many altars were built in high places of worship to pagan gods so i'm sure that this was built on like a high place originally But, you know, they built altars on hills and mountains to worship these pagan gods. And the Greeks adopted this Phrygian goddess, and a temple stood there. In the days of this writing, there was a temple in Sardis to this female deity, Cybele. The emphasis of Cybele was that as being a mother. So just like Diana was fertility, etc., this was like a mother of sorts. Now let me just stop there. I'm gonna come back to it. So I'm gonna give you kind of something, just a side note. But you remember in the Bible how Israel got into worshiping Baal? Well, Baal was seen as the word indicates like a husband or a provider, protector, Baal. And this is what's interesting. There are different depictions of Baal, like a bull, etc. But one depiction of Baal was somebody standing like this and they had a lightning bolt in their hand and the reason for that was Baal was like a husband to those that worshipped him and he would say if you worshipped him he would send the rain on your crops and thus he would provide for you you know how offensive that would be to God knowing that that's what Israel was doing because God specifically told them if you worship me i will bless you i will open the heavens i will send my rain on your land and season and bless the works of your hands he said those words but anyway baal was seen as the one that would send the rain and provide that's why when elijah came on the scene god told elijah here's what i want you to do <clears throat> elijah i want you to tell the people of israel guess what you worship baal there's not going to be any rain until I say so and it, there was a famine it didn't rain you see God was trying to deal with that stronghold there of bell worship he was dealing with the mentality Alright, so keep that in mind here because when you when you deal with these regions you have to understand that the people have adopted this this female deity in Sardis that they see as a mother and this mother goddess this temple there's a mindset there and so when you go to these temples you have a certain belief system a certain mindset of worship to that specific deity for their benevolence now a couple other things about this region this city was where that myth in Greek mythology about the Midas touch came from how many guys have heard that before it was from Sardis in Greek mythology Midas was the king of Phrygia which was there before the Greeks conquered, okay? He was the king. And because of his hospitality to the satyr Silenus and Dionysus, these gods, they offered to grant this king Midas anything he wished. So he desire listen to what he wishes. It's like a genie in a bottle, right? He wishes, well, anything that I touch be, you know, will turn to gold. Well, this quickly was regretted because even his food and drink turned to gold. So he starts getting hungry and thirsty. And to free himself from this enchantment, Midas was instructed by Dionysus to go bathe in the Pactolus River, which he did. And it was believed that afterward, the sands on that that riverbed had gold in it, mixed in it so that's where that whole greek mythology from the midas touch came all right so this was a city a literal city a literal church to a literal pastor but in many ways this city was seen as very pretentious but didn't actually have the substance how many of you guys know that sometimes people talk big but when it comes down to it they can't come through big talk all right so let me just read some things i have in my notes here so the roman catholic church to this day refers to itself as like the mother church in the natural this city at faced. listen this city of sardis had faced great destruction and was rebuilt also the satanic stronghold was Sibyl now here's prophetically so in the city you see the stronghold you see what the city's facing now let's look at there's a hint of more let's start looking at some divine revelation in this Sardis means those escaping prophetically this speaks of the time of 1517 to 1750 you know what that is the Reformation And this was a revival of sorts. The seven stars are God's faithful servants who would preach the truth. The seven spirits refer to the fullness of the Holy Spirit that God gives to those that have a heart for restoration. Martin Luther risked his life and he stood firmly on this one scripture. This was the only real revelation that the man seemed to have, but he really had it and he stood on it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which states we are saved by grace through faith. And Jesus commended those that believed the gospel and stated that they would wear white. Let me just say a few things about Martin Luther that are very important, actually, because there's two things I really need to belabor tonight, and one is this, and then I need to belabor some things about Laodicea. But Martin Luther was an augustinian monk now here's the important thing about that saint augustine his teaching really influenced roman catholicism and it tremendously influenced martin luther because he was a monk of the augustinian order so he studied augustine's writings and there's two things that augustine taught that were very detrimental you have to be careful that when you teach that you study the word enough to where you you understand the whole word of God in established sound doctrine because if you teach off those that follow you get off and it gets worse as it goes. And that's what happened here. So Augustine taught two things that were that led to a lot of problems. One of them is he taught replacement theology he believed see you gotta understand though in his day israel was not a nation so when he looked at toward israel he would have seen that it was just a wasteland so in his mind god was through with israel so what he did was every time you read about israel in the bible promise future promises to israel etc he he applied it to roman roman catholic church roman catholicism and so roman catholicism adopted this replacement theology, which they believe to this day. The Vatican believes that they are the true Israel, and they don't believe that God has anything else really to do with Israel. And there's other groups that believe that as well. There's one group that believed that they were the 144,000. <laughs> well, when their membership grew beyond 144,000, they had to reevaluate their doctrine, didn't they, you see? we'll get more on that later but just be careful with this religious stuff like that we it gets sectarian and cultish and um anyway but that was one thing that augustine taught and martin luther being of that order would have studied that and believed that himself well the problem is is that roman catholicism anybody that didn't agree with them they labeled them a heretic and they would hunt them down and they would either you know, put them in jail. They would torture them and force them to convert, or they would kill them, burn them alive. It was a very violent thing. Um, but because of that, the Jews went through the Inquisition, which most people are familiar with. Well, Martin Luther knew about that. And, and so after the Reformation, he began to try to witness to some of the Jews, well, they didn't believe in the Lord. And so he gets angry and he writes some stuff very negative about you know mistreating the jews and driving them out and you know it was pretty aggressive you can look it up well listen to where this goes so it goes from augustine's replacement theology now to martin luther who doesn't believe there's anything special about israel so he becomes anti-semitic and the lutheran church founded by him is pervasive in eastern europe in eastern europe before the holocaust 85 percent of the jewish population dwelt there but yet the lutheran church was so pervasive in this area and also roman catholicism there was a lot of persecution there was a lot of anti-semitism which ultimately when it came time for the holocaust the people there didn't really have a problem with the jews being mistreated Because they already believed that God had nothing to do with Israel. And they already had anti-Semitic roots. Does that make sense? So you can see how it got worse as it went down through the ages. And another thing that Augustine taught was not only replacement theology, but he taught this, this sovereignty of God. Now understand, God is sovereign but you he went too far okay let me explain it this way so from his teaching infiltrated Cal, okay i'm sorry came down and influenced calvin an extreme calvinism let me explain this i think this will make sense the way i'm explaining it extreme calvinism believes in the sovereignty of god to in this way i believe god's sovereign but listen they believe this they believe say ten people are born five of them are born destined to go to heaven no matter what it's predetermined five of the other five are predetermined to go to hell no matter what so basically that's the way it's going to end up one way or another see that's extreme calvinism and you can see how that influences once saved always say you see and the problem with that, there's many problems, but the greatest problem is this. Where's free will? Why, if, if you believe that, why are we wasting our time praying for anybody's salvation? If you believe that, why are we wasting our time going out evangelizing? Why did Jesus tell people to waste their time and go make disciples of the nations? If it's already predetermined, it's going to just happen. See, that's an extreme view of God's sovereignty it takes completely away the free will of man but see Augustine started with that sovereignty and by the time it gets into the life of Calvin he has this extreme view of that the sovereignty of God to that degree and also in that once save always save again you're dealing with the fact that someone's free will is removed Just because somebody accepts christ as their savior they're born again there is absolutely no devil that can steal that there's no human being that can steal that somebody can physically kill you and they can't steal that but you can walk away from it you sure can and that's why the bible says right here jesus said in here he said i'm coming like a thief but he also said he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. So, your name can be erased or blotted out, can it? All right. And let me just warn about in the new covenant that we're in, there's liberty. It's important to not get legalistic, legalism is a religious spirit, and it's very dangerous there's people that get very legalistic in different areas i know for one i'll give a few examples but one is is that some groups like their sects the s-e-c-t-s there's sects you know like a sectarian but they believe that if you don't eat kosher that you're not right with god and they believe that and you try to tell me you're kind of being a judaizer and they'll they found their way to to worm around all of that but at the end of the day the bible's clear about food being clean but it is a religious spirit and one guy got so far with it he was saying well you know rebellion is as witchcraft so if you're if you're not obeying that then you know basically he was saying that they're a rebellious witch that's what he was saying so how does somebody get to that point because way back here they started agreeing with some kind of a religious spirit in their mind and it began to develop and they began to take on more and more of that nature of the religious spirit i mean you guys have been going through that book with my wife see the more something is affecting you and you don't get it off you it starts changing your personality your mind your emotions to where you start becoming more like that thing and in this case it's a religious spirit Some people make the biggest thing about whether you have church on a Saturday, a Sunday, or another day. How many knows that in the New Covenant, you can worship God every day of the week? Why are we adding to and taking away from and dividing over these petty, pathetic things? It's all kinds of different things like that. And another one is, you know, about, look, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the birth of Christ any day of the year but some people it's going to be an issue with them it's a religious spirit and if you're not careful that will get in you and change you and I've seen people that at one time they were a certain way they had a humble sweet spirit about them but they allowed that religious thing to keep working on them and over time they had a personality change they got lifted up with pride and they began to be a problem all right so be careful with the religious spirit so even though prophetically this speaks of the time of the reformation it was coming out of roman catholicism martin luther has already talked about this so martin luther wrote his 95 thesis nailed it on the gate there the door at wittenberg and set things in motion but you gotta understand that even though that happens these reformers like luther they were so in the day they were so filled with so much roman catholicism that it still was a part of who they were they it still came out in their teachings so it was a period where you were leaving something but there was still a lot of that roman catholic influence there you see so this this created a lot of problems now with that in mind The gospel was restored, but nothing else was really restored at this time. Only the gospel. Now, let me go back and read some of this again to you. Keep that in mind as I read some of this. He said, I know your deeds that you're alive, but you're dead. See, there was still a lot of spiritual death. There was still a lot of people that professed to be a part of christ but yet they didn't believe the gospel that luther was preaching you see he said wake up and strengthen things that remain which are about to die i have found your deeds not complete in the sight of god they only had a part of reformation they only had the gospel which is the most important thing but they didn't really understand other aspects of christianity it was just that faith in christ alone which is the most important thing He said, remember what you've received and what you heard talking about the gospel. Keep it and repent. He was saying to turn away from dead religion unto faith in Christ. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You won't know the hour. But he says that there are few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They'll walk in white. he says to him who overcomes, you'll be clothed in white garments and I will not blot your name out. So be careful because there were there were some that may have listened to luther but they weren't really fully embracing the gospel they were still looking at works to be saved you got to be careful about them let me give you an example of what luther had to go through so when martin luther was still a monk it says this in roman catholicism it's believed that your sins would be forgiven if you climbed the steps where Pilate had tried jesus in israel supposedly these were the steps so roman catholicism believed that if you would climb those steps now they were strewn with broken glass so you had to of course do it on your knees to make sure your knees were all cut up real good there was a lot of pain involved but if you climbed those steps your sins would be forgiven and while martin luther was actually doing this He had a very powerful revelation of the Lord that the just shall live by faith. And so that was really the only thing that was restored, the only great revelation Luther seemed to have, but he stood on it, and we have to honor him for that because his life was in danger. Later, Luther was hated by Rome. He was hunted down, He was obviously excommunicated from Roman Catholicism and his life was in constant danger from Rome who wanted to murder him. They sent assassins to kill him. But there was a German king that protected him and saved his life, okay? So even though this period was filled with various problems, the gospel was restored. So that is the church at Sardis. You see here how the Lord, This to me this is so amazing because you see how Sardis in the natural was a beautiful, that had been destroyed city. It was coming, and they were coming out of the ruins. Do you see how the church had went through the dark ages and it was destroyed and it was now, the gospel was coming up out of the ruins. Does that make sense? It's neat to me to see how incredibly powerful each one of these letters are because there's layers of meaning. All right, so that leads to the next church, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Starting with verse 7. Those that are following along. Verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. He who is holy. Now remember the way Jesus reveals himself. Is always very significant. So he's revealing himself. To this particular church. As he who is holy. Who is true. Who has the key of David. Who opens what no man can shut. And shuts what no man can open. So great. Authority, great spiritual authority here. And Jesus writes this epistle through John to, the, to this church in Philadelphia. This was a literal city, a literal church. And Jesus says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no man can shut because you have little power, but you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. They were living in difficult times behold i will cause those of the synagogue of satan who say that they're jews but they're not they lie i will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that i've loved you verse 10 because you have kept my word of my perseverance i will also remember this i will also keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth that's a reference to the tribulation so isn't it interesting now with these last couple of churches here you have clear specific references where Jesus says I'm coming like a thief and he's talking about the rapture there And here he says that they're going to be kept from the tribulation time so it's references to his coming clear references so in other words as you look at this from a timeline perspective you see that it's getting down to the end of the church age and now jesus is talking about i'm coming quickly so verse 10 because you have kept my word my person the word of my perseverance i will also keep you from the hour of testing the hour which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on it I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have. He doesn't have a rebuke for this church. Every other church pretty much except Smyrna, he says, oh, by the way, I have this against you. He doesn't say that to Philadelphia. He says to them, hey, hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I love these promises. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore how many want to be a pillar in the t- in the presence of god as we say in the temple of god is presence in other words god says here jesus says i will make you uh, continually abide in my presence he will not go out from my presence anymore i will write on him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which comes down out of heaven in my new name he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so a couple things there he said i'm coming quickly hold fast so no one takes your crown if you overcome i'll make you a pillar in my presence a pillar in the temple would have been a permanent fixture something that continually dwelled in the presence of god he says i'll put my name on you you know when aaron when god told aaron He said, I want you to lift your hands and speak a blessing over my people. And the blessing in English was the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace, or establish, ve'asim, establish in peace. But he spoke that blessing, and that blessing, he said, if you'll speak that over them, listen to what God says, I will put my name on them, and I'll bless them. Also, Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that goes down Aaron's head onto his beard, onto his garments. There's a downflow of the anointing when we're in unity. And the Bible says, there I will command my blessing. So there's something about what what God's saying to this church is, is that I'm gonna put my name on you. Where God puts his name, he puts his presence and he puts his blessing think about jerusalem god said i will put my name on jerusalem my name will be established in jerusalem what do you what do you think of when you think of jerusalem well that's where god dwells his presence dwells and that's where he commands his blessing so there's something about the name of god being put on a church that will bring his presence and his blessing amen isn't that awesome so this is a really powerful church philadelphia And let me give you let's start with the Peshat with the literal and we'll build on it philadelphia was a literal city a roman city at this time in asia minor it was located 30 miles southeast of sardis it was also destroyed in that same earthquake in 17 a.d that sardis was destroyed in and tiberius also rebuilt philadelphia the city was known for its beautiful vineyards it's great vineyards and wine etc but in that city drinking was a problem this church was birthed in revival in philadelphia it was a sincere church that kept itself pure from the contaminants of the world around it it was a strong church that proclaimed the gospel and this is important it was a missions minded church in other words philadelphia had a heart for the lost and the hurting they were reaching out to people how many knows when brother holt was here what was he talking about He was talking about being in acts two and then another reference but he was talking about being a church of power that what reached out to the lost that's philadelphia a church that's sincere mission-minded and it's interesting as i've already said this church had no rebuke from the lord what is he going to rebuke they were keeping themselves pure from the contamination around them they were holding on to his word they were a church where the presence of god dwelled and they were a church that were reaching out to the lost so they were doing what a church is supposed to be doing so the lord had nothing negative to say about this church he said listen just hold on to what you got i'm coming quickly he said don't let anybody steal your crown in other words what he's saying there is because you've been such a faithful church i have a crown for you just keep doing what you're doing keep being faithful so you don't lose that crown the lord admonished this church but i want you in your notes there's a a picture on the top of the front page and you'll see that it's those various churches the seven churches and I want you to notice in that picture that the last three churches Philadelphia had a promise that they would not go through that tribulation time that they would be look you see that arrow they were going to be caught away and not have to go through the hour of testing so these last two churches Philadelphia and Laodicea if y'all give me just a few more minutes I want to talk about Laodicea but there's going to be like two you know like a train track has two rails there's going to be like a Philadelphia type church in these last days but there's also going to be a Laodicean church and the Laodicean church is probably going to be much bigger and more pervasive but God always has a remnant But these promises to Philadelphia as I close this out was this, to be kept from the hour of testing. He said, I'm coming quickly. You'll you'll dwell in my presence. I'll put my name on you. So prophetically, Philadelphia speaks from 1750 to 1905. It is a period of great revivals. Remember the great awakening through the Wesley brothers, Whitfield, Edwards, all of that. You had Cambridge in 1801. You had Finney's ministry, Rochester, New York, in what 18 um, in the mid 1800s. And then you had toward you know the late 1800s, early 1900s. There was great revivals that were going on. We know about the Welsh revival, and we know about Azusa Street started in 1905. But this was a period of great revival. Y'all hear me prophetically? This speaks of like so. What Ephesus lost. They lost the revival. They lost the menorah. In Philadelphia, it's like the last day church. God is restoring it through great revival. And it is a preparation for his coming. And he said, if you will get in on that move of my spirit and you'll be faithful and you'll keep my word and you'll be about my father's business to be soul winners. He said, you're going to be caught away and you won't have to deal with the hour of testing coming on the world. But it is a revival church. It's like it's restored back. This prophetically shows the latter-day outpouring of the Holy Spirit to prepare a bride for the coming of the Lord. All right, so then the very last church is Laodicea. And this will start with verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful, the true witness the beginning of the creation of god says this i know your deeds so the lord already is starting real negative with laodicea he didn't have anything negative to say about philadelphia but right off the bat jesus says i know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold i mean right there he just lays into it i wish that you were either cold or hot but because you're lukewarm you're neither hot nor cold i will spit you and that means in greek vomit you out of my mouth in other words i'm saying this lovingly but i believe this is what the lord's saying you make me nauseous verse 17 because you say i'm rich i've become wealthy and i need nothing he said you do not know that in jesus was saying in my sight you're wretched miserable poor blind and naked I advise you to come buy gold refined in the fire so you may become rich. Gold refined in the fires where the Lord puts you through the fires to, to test your metal and purify you. See, Laodicea didn't have any suffering, any persecution. They weren't going through any trials. And he said, and white garments so you can clothe yourself. In other words, they were being soiled by the world. And the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and to buy from me I salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see Jesus is basically saying you're seeing yourself wrong you're seeing yourself just fine but he says I see you quite different he said you need me to anoint your eyes so you can see yourself with righteous judgment so you can repent in verse 19 those I love I reprove and I discipline therefore be zealous and repent behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in i will dine with him and he with me he who overcomes i will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as i overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so this is a great promise to the overcomer and the reason why i believe such authority would be entrusted is because this laodicean if i could say it this way the spirit of laodicea will be so pervasive and strong in these last days the lord says it's going to be so difficult but if you will be an overcomer to not become like that laodicean church and you'll stay hungry and on fire for me and not get lukewarm and you'll persevere he said i will let you sit on my throne with me Whew. laodicea in the naturals let's start with the literal the remember laodicea was located 40 miles north of ephesus laodicea was a large and very prosperous city on the banks of the river lycus it was a tributary of meander laodicea was in between see look at the natural it was in between hot springs of hierapolis and the cold springs of colossi this city was famous also for its medical school in Isalv, which supposedly had healing properties this city was very wealthy and the people were entertainment based hello The remains in this city. To this day, there are remains in Laodicea that show a theater, a gymnasium, and public baths. These people live for continual pleasure. I think that maybe we need to look at that again. This city was located between hot and cold springs. Jesus called him lukewarm this city was famous for some kind of an eye salve that supposedly had healing properties And this city was wealthy. It was entertainment based People were caught up in the theater in the gymnasium and the you know public baths and they They were just caught up always wanting to live for pleasure and entertainment That's the day that we live bottom line. I mean it couldn't be any more clear so Just as Philadelphia was basically the revival church restored in the last days through great revival, the great outpourings of the Holy Spirit. But Laodicea is like the opposite. There was no commendation to this church. There was nothing positive the Lord had to say about Laodicea prophetically this speaks of the last day church from 1905 to the tribulation now listen to some of this revelation laodicea means right of laity so namely the people's rights this is interesting like a democracy in the church this is a time when the laity have become supposedly more enlightened than the ministers and where their political power is such that they can hire and fire a pastor at will if he doesn't do what they want him to do so many churches only because of this so many churches only have a hireling not a real man of God that they want him to tell them what they want to hear hello rather than a real man of god that will bring correction where it's needed hence it produces a spiritually corrupt age the prophecy that a time will come when men will not listen to sound doctrine but rather they will gather teachers unto themselves that tell them what their itching ears want to hear that's this age and listen guys I know you probably already know this, but there's a 2,000-year-old prophecy the Apostle Paul made that you're seeing with your eyes being fulfilled right now. In fact, there's a lot of prophecies that you're seeing with your eyes being fulfilled. You are seeing the lukewarm Laodicean church before your very eyes today. Might I I just lay into that just a little bit if you'll bear with me. The nightclub fill of church services. The sermons that only tickle the ears. The lack of power and the gifts in operation. The worldliness and the worldly entertainment that has come in. Many places have only become a powerless social club. People have grown so lukewarm that they only attend church if they feel like it. The study of the word of God in their personal life. their personal prayer life is very seldom if it ever takes place and ungodly entertainment in their life is justified so these are like train tracks in these latter days you've got the restored uh, what was lost in Ephesus being restored back in the Philadelphia church it's a church of power it's a good church it's a strong church spirit-filled But then you also have the Laodicean church And these two are going to progressively Become more that direction. In other words, Philadelphia is going to keep seeing great revival A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit going deeper in Christ and it's a preparation to be caught away and meet him in the air But the Laodicean church is going to keep getting more and more worldly and lukewarm So what's going to happen is is it's going to continue to sift and pull apart the wheat from the tares And I want us to think about for a moment how much of Laodicea do we have in us and let this convict you. I was thinking about the day and age that we live So the Chinese underground church back in the 90s was seeing such a great revival. Communist China was violently persecuting the Christians. They were being hunted down. It was so bad that the Christians there, as they accepted Christ, they knew that they would probably die. As a matter of fact, they they got to where they couldn't even announce that they would meet. They would just tell the other Christians, you pray and hear from God. And they would all go home and pray. And the Holy Spirit would speak to each of them wherever they were. I want you to meet at this place at this time. And whenever they'd show up, there'd be a big group there to have church. Because they couldn't announce it. Because there would be people there to persecute and take them away to prison. So the Chinese church had no Bible. And there was a missionary that was talking about um, the Chinese church that was underground. Fearing for their lives. Knowing that they would probably die. They didn't have a Bible and there was a man that came to preach and some of the people there in the Chinese church told him, said, Listen, if you would, would you please preach tomorrow and start at seven thirty in the morning and just preach? He said, Okay, well what do you want me to preach on? And they said, Well just start in Genesis and then he said, Well, how long do you want me to preach? And they said, Preach till like eight o'clock that evening. We won't leave. And he said, Are you serious? And they said yes. And they said, If you don't mind, could you come do it tomorrow too? And he said, yeah, I can come. And they said, and, they, and then they got kind of embarrassed and real sheepishly said, could you come the third day as well? They were so hungry for the word. I've seen with my eyes a video of the word of God going into China and they rip open the suitcases and they're weeping while they hold a Bible. Yet today, you can't get Christians to even read the Bible. And it's sitting right there in their house in many places. There's no way in this laodicean age that you could get people to sit through a sermon here is an exception to the rule but in most places you couldn't get people to sit through 30 minutes before they get fidgety and annoyed laodicea is all over them hello my friend john paul was talking about in india he he came here and he ministered for us and and uh you guys remember john paul he was saying that you know we have these buildings they're air conditioned all that he said you know He said, I see in America that many people don't even care to go to church. They're bored with church. But he said, in India, he said, people will walk many miles, miles, not blocks, many miles, walk many miles, not drive. He said, in the blistering heat of India to a building with no air conditioning so that they can be at God's house. You don't see that here. Why? Because, again, Laodicea. People are pleasure-based, entertainment-based. They think it's about them, what they want. They want God on their terms. Hello. In South Korea, Dr. Cho was talking about the hunger of the people there to pray and how people wanted and they would meet together for all-night prayer meetings, get up at the crack of dawn to have these early morning prayer meetings before they go to work for, you know, eight-hour days. And they would take off work and use vacation time to go for a couple weeks at a time, sometimes 40 days. They would take off work to go to Prayer Mountain where there was these grottos, and they would spend time in prayer and fasting. He said any given time, there would be thousands of people at Prayer Mountain, the hunger. And yet, you, okay, I think everybody knows this. Churches here call prayer meeting, and the ranks thin down to a handful of people. That'll even come for an hour. Laodicea. yet if you throw some kind of a party some kind of a barbecue or whatever people will come bring friends they'll be willing to stay for hours you call prayer meeting Laodicea we laugh but the truth is it's pathetic and the truth is we should be convicted here in America because we're no better than the Laodiceans who Jesus had nothing good to say about that scares me because I see it out there and I don't want to be one of those in my personal life I'm talking about me I don't want to have Laodicea all over me where the Lord looks at my life and says it makes me nauseous. You're not on fire anymore. You only go to church because you have to. When's the last time you read my word? When's the last time you, you spent time with me in prayer? Where is your passion? I don't want that about me. People get so caught up with pleasure and entertainment, all these different things. These things are fading. The problem is, is that people are living for the here and now in their own flesh, their pleasures of their flesh, instead of thinking about eternity and sacrificing their life for eternity. I saw in the days of revival in the 90s, I saw people so hungry and on fire for God. People would line up for hours to get into church. But over the years, I've seen it wane hear what i'm saying i've seen where some of the godly convictions that people had in those days that they were selective about the stuff they would watch on television and movies they were selective about what they would listen to they were careful they didn't want anything that would grieve the holy spirit or hinder the revival in their lives i've seen them now compromise they're doing things they would have never done I've seen that people used to drive for hours to go to these revival meetings. I was one of them, and I knew many others. They, would, they were willing to drive to another state for a revival service. They could only be there for a couple days, but they were so hungry. They would save up money. They would take off work. They would get people to go with them. Yet now you can have a powerful meeting and have people come, and it's, it's extremely powerful. And You can't get people to get off their rear end and drive across town for free. A lack of hunger you know what it is laodicea when i met with brother kilpatrick we had time together at lunch and he just looked at me and said the spirit of laodicea is strong today he said you're going to be coming up against that and i can see it people want to live for their own selfish self you know they're bored they're bored during worship they just sit there bored can't wait for it to get over they're bored during the sermon how long is this guy going to preach? Friend, I love you, but you're you're a Laodicean. Where's your hunger? Well, you know, altar time comes. They don't care if they get prayer or not. They're just ready to go. They, And truthfully, they would rather be at home watching TV. There's a lack of discipline in many people's lives. To re- they want God on their terms. You know, one person said, I didn't like the worship this morning and one preacher said well that was okay because we weren't worshiping you (laughs) see the mindset is that people think they really do in America they think it's about them man the Lord's just really I I feel this as I'm preaching this I mean it's kind of rough here but I'm just telling it like it is but I'm going to tell you that people really think in America, that really is about them. And this seeker friendly church fosters that deception that it's about you. What you want, when you want it, how you want it. Burger King Church. Have it your way in five minutes. You know, we'll we we'll even do a drive-by for you. we'll have listen, we'll keep church within twenty minutes. You know what I'm saying? That's Laodicea. Let's just tell it like it is. I think most of people in River of Life by and large. You're not like that, and you know what I'm talking about. Friend, that's Laodicea. And those those type of facilities, those type of places, those type of people, I love them. I'm not against them, but they better repent because they're, they're soiled with the world, and Jesus had nothing good to say about Laodicea. The lack of discipline in their lives and the lack of sacrifice. That's what concerns me. People are not willing to really lay down their life for the gospel. You know, there's other countries that by getting saved and going and being a witness, that they actually know. You remember, actually, Brother Holt told a story, true story about a young man who who had a little piece of a, a Bible that he rolled up that he could fit in his glasses. Remember that story? And him and his wife, they had just got married or whatever, they were going to go witness in the city, and they knew when they went there that they would die there. They knew it, but they still went. You. The way things are today, you, you can't even get people to be on fire for God enough just to go to church, let alone lay down their life for the gospel. The scary thing is, Laodicea has been so pervasive in America now for so long. You're seeing so much worldliness. As I said before, it, church has become, in many places, like a nightclub. It's become fashionable to use profanity, it's become fashionable with the tattoos and piercings, social drinking, etc., It's an abomination to God. It's Laodicea. God will never be pleased with it. He's never going to pour out his spirit in that garbage. People better repent. So basically, I'm going to close out. I had a few more things. I'm going to pick it up next week. But basically, guys, as you saw in that diagram, Philadelphia was promised to be caught away. Laodicea was not promised that. There's going to be a group of people that call themselves Christians that when the catching away happens to meet the Lord in the air, I promise you they're not going to be there. They're going to be here during this tribulation time. The Lord is not coming for some stained, soiled, defiled, worldly church that thinks it's all about them and not about him. He's not coming for that. He's coming for a church that's on fire for God, a bride that has made herself ready without spot or blemish, that's on fire for him and in love with him and living for him. Like Philadelphia, they're they're a place of God's presence and power, but they're also reaching out to the lost. Amen? All right. So I'm going to close this thing out, but just wherever people are tonight that are hearing this, pray about what I said tonight about Laodicea don't get so caught up with this present world we've got to be a people that's truly ready for the lord's coming and many are not so lord i just thank you for hearing answering every prayer tonight meeting every need over this sermon let this get where it needs to get and accomplish what it needs to let it do what it needs to do forgive us lord for any of our stale hypocritical life religious spirit laodicean type of thing Lord, we don't want to be like this world. We want people to see Christ when they see us. They see something different than the world so that they will believe. How will people ever believe if they see Christians that are no different than the world? They're going to look at those people and say all Christians are hypocrites. They're going to look at those people and say if they're saved, then I'm certainly saved. They need to see something different in us, Lord. Lord, do that work in us, set us on fire, purify us in Jesus' name. We want to be like the Philadelphia church that's going to be caught away when you come in Jesus' name. All right.